0: Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor.
1: Welcome to another hour dedicated to inquiry, reflection, questions, possibilities, philosophical conundrums, the examination of so-called epistemological certainties, and a whole lot more, all in our effort to understand exactly what enlightenment means and what it is to be enlightened. This is truly an hour where you can run, but you cannot hide, for there is no hidden agendas, no sanctuary from interrogation or retreat from honest skepticism. For what we seek in this hour is practical insight and clarity as to how we live our lives in an effort to walk the talk of enlightenment, knowing all along, at least where I'm concerned, that genuine enlightenment for me is still a work in progress and I suspect the same is true for many of you. Each week we undertake anew our search and discovery of the human potential and admit the necessary allowances to uncover our own limitations acknowledging that we could be wrong and in this way we truly expand our awareness and at least we hope become a little more enlightened. Now last week our guest was Neil Donald Walsh and our conversation generated a flurry of email. And I invite all of you to email me by leaving your comments at EldonTaylor.com. Neal essentially stated that there were no virtues that could be said to be universal. Indeed, he asserted that values were relative, an argument I branded as cultural relativity. I had a problem with that statement. For me, there is no evolution of consciousness that is, single-celled to man, monkey to man, Cro-Magnum to Homo sapiens sapien, or whatever, without the recognition that our sense of service to one another, our noetic knowledge that some things are just inherently wrong, our realization that there are causes, purposes, meanings, and so forth that are larger than the individual. The study of values is called axiology. Metaphysics is all about ontology, the nature of being, and axiology, values. Philosophers have long labored over values, absolute to relative. Immanuel Kant, although he reasoned that value systems could not necessarily be relied upon due to tradition, religion, and so forth, for in his view there was nothing that was unconditionally good except goodwill. And, Therefore, he insisted that goodwill was the basic premise upon which values derive their authority. Now, if you think about killing as just a value, it's easy to see that even this may not meet an unconditional test. For there may be times it's justified, and that's what Kant had in mind. My question to Neil began with acts of violent cruelty, such as the father that runs down his daughter because he is she's becoming too westernized, something that's in the current news. And his reply suggested that this was okay. For what else could you expect from someone that had been raised to believe that this was okay since they were three years of age? Well, for me, and for Kant, and a whole host of others, there is nothing kindly, nothing remotely similar to good will in an act of this nature this is purely selfish lower animal behavior uh, like that of a stallion that kills the foal so it can get to the mare where is the enlightened consciousness in this i enjoyed a conversation sunday with two men i admire and they will be guests on our show in the near future really near future for one of them like as in just a few minutes Neurosurgeon John L. Turner and NASA physicist Tom Campbell join me in an hour on the phone. Our conversation was all about consciousness. We agreed that everything is consciousness dealing with a data stream as in a multiplayer virtual game. Our adapting laws of physics constitute the rule set for the game. We make changes in our individual realities by how we interpret this data stream and as a result of our interactions with others in our interpretations. So in this model, it is our relationships and our mutual interpretations that reinforce the world as we know it. Now, leaving it there for just a minute, what is one to do when in the nature of their interaction with others two opposing views arise? Simple they discussed those views in an adult manner hoping to gain from the exchange and not as a result of subtracting from the other. To that point, then, Neil and I disagreed and had a relatively civil discussion about that disagreement. I asserted that the world would never know peace if we couldn't come to some point where there was a common virtue, common values that we could then put the rule of law behind. In my opinion, that might begin by deciding that life was sacred, in this great country, we think of it all through the eyes of our founding fathers, created with certain inalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Neil's answer went along the lines that this is exactly what happens when 50% plus one agree. We live in a so-called modern era where tradition is often discarded. In this culturally relevant modernism, there exists little coherence in values or ethics. There are those that say something along the lines of that suggested by Neo when he said, Eldon, you expect people to be consistent and they're not. He's right. I want coherence, consonance, not dissonance. The philosopher Alastair McIntyre, Mac- believes that historical narration of the development of ethics is necessary in order to illuminate the modern moral problem in arguments that proceed from incompatible premises. In his seminal work, After Virtue, he identifies the central question of morality as having to do with the habits and knowledge concerning how to live a good life. His approach seeks to demonstrate that good judgments emanate from good character. As I said at the top of the show, many of you wrote letters simply saying, great show. I love the feedback. Please keep it up. For those of you that might have missed the show, you can listen to it by going to the archives here on Hay House Radio. Now, let me share a couple of letters with you that reflect the continuum of audience sentiment about last week's show. Peter wrote, Hi, Eldon. Excellent show this week with Mr. Walsh. First of all, you had an excellent guest who was compelling to listen to. A man of great intellect and wisdom? Secondly, it was more of a debate where you were both arguing and defending positions. Ringside stuff, close encounters, blow by blow, and you were endeavoring to find an opening to land an uppercut. Very stimulating radio indeed. Well, thanks, Peter, but I hope it didn't sound too much like fisticuffs. Next, Angela wrote, Dear Dr. Taylor, I loved your interview with Neil Donald Walsh. I think you touched upon a really important subject, especially for those of us working on our spiritual growth. Although I respect much of Neil's work, I cannot agree with his statement about truth being determined by 51% of the people. Great crimes against humanity have been committed by groups in the majority, ranging from the Holocaust to Rwanda. I believe that there are basic truths and moral values that, while hard to define sometimes, can be agreed upon by everyone. We all know that cruelty is wrong, and man has an innate need to be free. I believe it is incumbent on all of us to thrash these questions out and get to the stage where there are basic values that we can all agree upon. It is only by doing this that our world can experience true peace. Well, thank you, Angela, and amen. Do I ever agree with that? I do also believe that peace, like freedom, is not free. That is not to say that violence is the answer, for it may well not be. Mohandas Gandhi, also known as Mahatma, which is really a title or a distinction in the Sanskrit that means great one, together with Nelson Mandela and Martin Luther King, to name but three, have demonstrated to all that principles can rise above force and liberty can be achieved without violence. Still, To bring this about requires what Gandhi called right action. Two words that basically sum up my position on this. The first is right. That presupposes there is a lesser or wrong action. And then of course the word action. Our planned guest for today, Professor Amit Goswami, who cannot join us due to a family emergency and for which we send our very best wishes, our love and support calls this action activism. Don't just stand by, get involved. We have sent a formal invitation to Neil inviting him to come back and discuss all of this and hopefully he will accept. He did tell me over the phone at the conclusion of last week's show that he would love to. So perhaps then we can really flesh this all out and find some common ground. You know, I remember reading Baird Spaulding's Life and Teachings of the Masters of the Far East, years ago. In fact, I left Volume 1 on an airplane, all marked up, and I hope whoever found that enjoyed it as much as I did. In this multi volume set, the Masters address America. Essentially, they describe it as a great experiment that is the lighthouse to the world, a country unafraid of its spiritual heritage and undivided by its religious differences. A country where freedom rings. A country governed by laws designed to treat the least among them exactly as the most powerful. A country of hope and vision and opportunity. Again, a lighthouse to the world. In my view, our individual willingness to step up and address injustice, inequities and the like speaks directly to the stage of our conscious evolution. An evolution toward enlightenment or away from it, you choose. I do believe in the human potential, so I like to think that many matters are simply written in the heart, and just as a leaf turns toward the sun, our destiny is to turn toward the light, that is the light of enlightenment. Okay, you have my take on all this. We want you involved. You now know what I think. What do you think? Our show, Provocative Enlightenment, seeks to provoke to incite, even to agitate if appropriate, and to otherwise wake the emotional and intellectual giant in all of us so that we can truly, not ignorantly, not blindly, become enlightened. Again, you can opine by leaving your comments on my website, www.eldentaylor.com. And I have to add... Thank you, Mrs. Brown, for your phone call and message. This lovely person told a member of my staff yesterday to be sure to give me this message. Quote, be sure to tell Eldon, know that that Serenity CD is wonderful and that at 79 years of age, I listen to Eldon's radio show and it has made a big difference in my life. Well, thank you, Mrs. Brown. And by the way, the Serenity CD is free when you get my latest book, Mind Programming. Now, to today's show. Joining me in just a few minutes is a good friend of mine that has had his own conscious evolution. I know him well enough to have shared many hours in conversation, and some of that conversation has been quite frank. Neither of us were born knowing what we know today. For both of us, life has taught us joys that we ignored earlier in our lives meaning that escaped our attention and purpose that we avoided until that was simply not possible any longer. Don't get me wrong, for my neurosurgeon friend has always cared about others, and he has saved many lives. It's just that our consciousness does evolve. We do learn and we do discover meanings that have formally escaped us. Today, Dr. John L. Turner, Jack, is semi-retired on his six-acre mini-ranch in Hawaii. Semi-retired for Jack means the practice of medicine no longer commands his full-time attention. But that does not mean sit back and wiggle your toes. No. Dr. Turner is the author of a great book titled Medicine, Miracles, and Manifestations, A Doctor's Journey Through the Worlds of Divine Intervention, Near-Death Experiences, and Universal Energy. He is also actively engaged in the research and development of a new television series dealing with the survival of consciousness independent of the body. Our conversations have spanned everything from electronic voice phenomena, something Jack has actually recorded, to the manifestation of orbs. In his book, he relates gripping scenes and heart-stopping incidents that taught him how metaphysical events, such as remote viewing, Telepathy, consciousness itself, and life after death are verifiable evidence of the human brain interfacing with universal consciousness. And all of this, excuse me, I'm losing my voice, (laughs) and all of this from a classically trained neurosurgeon. We have a lot to talk about, and we invite you to join us. You can also join us by calling toll-free 1-866-254-1579. And international callers can dial the country code, then 760-918-4300. All right, let's welcome today's guest. Welcome to Provocative Enlightenment, Dr. John L. Turner.
2: Oh, hello, Eldon. Thank you for allowing me to be on your great news show. And I thank everyone who's listening in for being here with us today.
1: Well, it's indeed our pleasure. You are a treasure. You are rich with information, rich with knowledge, rich with access. I I, I don't even really know where to begin because I know too much about you. So let's just do this. Um, let's start by telling us about your book and why you wrote it.
2: Well, Eldon, thank you for all the nice compliments, but really I'm nothing very special, <clears throat> neither is the book. But I wrote the book because in 1995, I had a feeling that the experiences that I was going to were going to be of value to someone else. So I started jotting them down, and actually it was the I Ching that prompted me to do that. Uh, on that day, I had a computerized version, and for some reason, the first time I'm using this program, I type in, am I on the right path? And the result of that that came back made me realize that something very special was about to happen and that if I could share these experiences, all could benefit. So that's really what prompted writing a book. I'm not much of a writer. I'm a neurosurgeon, as you mentioned, and background in physics before that. But uh, I was able to start uh, remembering these things that happened, and eventually the book Medicine, Miracles, and Manifestations was the result.
1: And it's a wonderful, wonderful book. You tell some stories in that book. And I'm just going to jump to some meat and potatoes because we have some callers and we'll get to our callers quickly. You tell a story about Daryl, and I know that they're going to film the reenactment of this remarkable event. So would you share that story with us, Jack?
2: Yes, uh, I'll try to be brief. It's such a great story because it indicates many things that are at work with consciousness, such as precognition which basically saved uh, this boy's life, and also a mother's love, which saved his life. And basically, this young man was injured with a a severe head injury. And uh, the morning I uh, pulled up to work, uh, the other fellow got out of his car, an anesthesiologist, and he said, hey, did you see that young man uh, up in the ICU on the respirator? Which I said, no, I I didn't know anything about it. What happened? And he said, well, I don't know either, but he's just up there, and uh, I said, well, Perhaps he was injured too bad because nobody called me, no one drove up to the house. So after I got out of surgery that morning, my beeper went off, and it was this young man, and his name was Daryl. And I couldn't place that name but I, with anything I knew, but I, anybody I knew, but I went to the x-ray department, and I, I got his name, got his folder, and as I pulled out the scan, it was a back scan. And it had my name as ordering physician, so I said, well, I, I must have known this boy from something, this young man. The next was a, a head injury. It was actually a gunshot wound to the brain, and many fragments were there, and a, and a hole in the bone, and a, everything you would expect with a three hundred fifty seven Magnum injury, apparently, is what it was. So when I got to the intensive care unit to see him, I recognized his mother. I had known her, and then I looked over, and I recognized this boy. I had seen him about 29 years of age or something over the years two times before. Uh, once was from a strain of his back, and that's why the back scan, the second time was from a very minor head injury in which I had to make a, a suture job, a laceration. But this time, something was really significant because he laid in the bed, his head wrapped up in disposable paper, chucks, they called them, and he had a tube for ventilation, but no machine was running. They had disconnected the machine because the mother had been told that there was no hope for this young man. So I spoke with her privately outside and I showed her the scan and I I said, you know, ma'am, if he could even make it through this, I said, I'm afraid that he might not be able to move his left arm or leg again. I said, would your son want to live that way? And she said, no, he, he certainly wouldn't. Then she explained that they had recommended that he donate his kidneys and his liver and his eyes because he was a healthy young man. And his girlfriend remembered that he never wanted to be an organ donor. So the mother refused that and She was just there waiting for him to take his last breath, but she thought she would ask me to see him since I knew him before. Well, as it turned out, Eldon, as I was telling her, I was very sorry that this all happened to him. And she said suddenly, but he responds to me. And I said, what what do you mean? She said, he'll squeeze my hand. Well, as you can well know, Eldon, that means someone is not terminal if they can follow a command. So I said, just a minute, this changes the whole story. So I went back in. And he was really paralyzed, wasn't moving anything, but I leaned down and whispered in his ear, if he knew me, I said, Darryl, do you know me? And I put my my fingers in his fingers, and I said, if you do, give me a squeeze. And almost imperceptibly, I could feel him tighten around my fingers. And then I commanded him to let go. And he did, Elton. he kind of relaxed that slight grip, and he could repeat that. I told him I'd be right back, and I uh, explained to the mother that uh, her son was wide awake, because he was unable to show any sign of movement. Well, this certainly shocked her. Uh, The night before, 24 hours before, she'd been told to donate his organs. So he went back, and I said, look, we have to let him make a decision, because if he wants to make it through this, we have to move fast. So I was able to show him how to lift one finger a little bit, move it for yes, two for no, And he was able to tell me that he knew he was in the hospital. He didn't know why. And I said, look, if you want to make it through this, we've got to operate fast, but you may never be able to move your left arm or leg again. I said, do you understand that, Daryl? And he indicated yes with one finger. So I said, well, what I need to know now, do you want to live? And then he replied with a yes movement, and then a one, four, three. One finger, four, three and three would move and the mother started crying the girlfriend started crying and I I was surprised I said what is this she said that's their beeper code for I love you yeah so anyway took him to the operating room and and as I repaired all the damage I also gave him about 20 minutes to 30 minutes of what is called jore, Jorei, J O R E I, Japanese word for uplifting of the spirit this is a physical light energy channeled from the hand And I had been researching the work of the Mokichi Okan Association for some years. And because this was Hilo and because this was Hawaii, I was able to blend Eastern and Western medicine. And to make a very long story short, uh, this young man did great. And he still had some weakness of his left arm or leg, but he could operate a motor vehicle. And eight years later, he, he drove to my house to thank me for the surgery and to invite me to his wedding. So, Eldon, the key points that this case made was, number one, he was able to explain to me that that morning I drove up and parked my car, he was actually looking out the window of the intensive care unit, and he explained Mm -hmm. that he could see his body on the bed uh, and and the girlfriend crying by the bed, but he also was out of his body hoping that I would get out of that car and come up to see him. And
1: And able in some way to manifest that to you.
2: Yeah, and that's what we'll talk about if we, if we can get to consciousness. But the second thing was that a few years before that, now we live on the big island, though, Then you know the, the two big volcanoes here, Mauna Kea and Mauna Loa.
1: Have right. We have about one minute before we have a hard break. So All right. oh.
2: Anyway, as he drove that with his cousin, he said, well, what happens if we ever had a wreck on this rough lava rock and they thought we were dead and they, we got to an emergency room hospital and they tried to remove our kidneys? So he said he never wanted to be an organ donor. And telling his girlfriend that really saved his life because otherwise he may have gone in to have those organs removed being wide awake. And that must be a terrible way to go to the next level. So this case was very illustrative, Eldon, for a lot of reasons. But it was that mother's love when she mentioned to me and asked me to see him and then said, but he responds to me.
1: Yeah, that's just, that's a wonderful story. I love to hear that story. And we'll have to talk about consciousness when we come back from the break. We'll take some calls first. Maybe we'll even take on the Shivo case because the new research shows that um, you know, what we thought were patients uh, without consciousness, indeed have consciousness, can be trained to do things similar to what you're describing with Daryl. You're listening to Provocative Enlightenment. I've been talking with Dr. John L. Turner about his book, Medicine, Miracles, and Manifestation. It's a great book, and you can get it from Amazon or Barnes & Noble online or your favorite bookstore. Check out his website, johnlturner.com, or just go to my site and follow...
0: Have you talked to yourself lately? What does that inner voice say? Are you constantly hearing negative feedback? Ready for a change? Inner Talk, Eldon Taylor's patented subliminal technology, can do just that. Change your inner self-talk. Turn off the negative by replacing it with positive affirmations. Inner Talk has been researched at universities such as Stanford and by governments around the world and has been proven effective at priming your self-talk. Armed with a new positive outlook, you'll find everything becomes easier—from losing weight to stop smoking, giving presentations to riding horses, learn new things to being a powerful salesperson. Choose your title for change today. Visit www.innertalk.com. That's i n n e r t a l k.com. Innertalk.com.
1: Thank you for joining us today. I'm Eldon Taylor, and it's my pleasure to host this special investigation. I love your comments and feedback, so please join me on Facebook or send your email to eldon at eldontaylor.com. That's E-L-D-O-N at eldontaylor.com. We'll try to share some of your letters every week because your feedback does influence our programming, and we're grateful for that guidance. So I look forward to hearing from you. Thank you and enjoy.
0: confusion, deception, manipulation, feeling a bit controlled, lost. Learn how you can take back control of your life through proven techniques in Eldon Taylor's revised edition of Choices and Illusions. This New York Times bestseller is a guidebook to your journey to self-actualization filled with practical, real-life solutions backed by scientific studies and guaranteed to awaken your inner genie. Get your copy today from all bookstores Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor.
1: Welcome back. And if you haven't yet obtained a copy of my new book, Mind Programming, go to my website, eldontaylor.com, and click on the special offer pane. Now, if you just joined us, I'm Eldon Taylor, and my guest today is Dr. John L. Turner, We're discussing his book, Mind, Medicine, and Miracles, and everything else that this book might lead us to. We have a caller that's been patient and uh, hanging on the line, I guess, for about uh, nearly a half an hour, Dr. Uh, Turner, so let's go to the call. Um, Maureen, you're on the air.
3: Yes, hi.
2: Hi, Maureen.
1: Hi.
3: Hi, how are you? (laughs) Um. My question would be, I, I changed so much since I've been on the phone for a half hour, I really don't even know what to ask now. It's uh-huh. <laughs> so filled with uh, everything that you're talking about. That's a, an amazing story about Daryl. Oh, uh, yeah.
2: Um,
3: my question um, is, um, I recently um, lost uh, a loved one, and I went through hospice with her. And uh, while she was in hospice, she was in there for a long time. Um, most of the nurses that had been working there for probably 18 years, said no one ever lasts more than a week and my mom lasted about three weeks, a little bit over three weeks. And during that time, I um, I was very confused. I thought maybe I would get some information from her. Uh, I guess my question would be is, once somebody goes into that state where they're uh, no longer conscious with me, I don't really know what you call it, they just go into more of I guess, the, the physical aspects of shutting down the body, going into the fetal position. Um, can you, do you know what is happening? Because what I saw was uh, certain things that I thought, oh, there must be something more happening. And it, uh, it was fascinating but scary and enlightening at the uh, same time. She would make certain movements with her mouth like someone was in the room, but yet she wasn't even engaging with people that were in the room. I should just stop there.
2: <laughs> well, well Maureen, I'll tell you what I think. That's an excellent question, and I think the reasoning with your friend was the question. It was I my mom, yeah. Yeah, your mom, I mean. Okay. So here's what I'll tell you. First of all, I think you'll find the answers in two excellent books by Dr. Johnny Lerma, Into the Light and Lessons from the Light or Learning from the Light. Now, Johnny had been there and interviewed over 12,000 people as they made this transition. And I use the word transition rather than death. Mm -hmm. Because as the Sunday discussion Eldon was talking about, I decided to revise my terminology and not speak so much as the afterlife, and not speak so much as death, but rather a transition period, which is much like uh, my analogy is changing trains. Mm -hmm. But Johnny describes that about four days prior to this transition, uh, the people began to see others appear as visions. And if they're family members, they're very well-formed visions, almost real. But if they're strangers, they may be more transparent or wispy-like. But then they appear to start coming, and slowly they will come closer and closer and eventually approach uh, the bed. And I was with my mother during the last five years of her life, uh, and I watched what happened during the last year when she was bedridden. She would often begin talking. Uh, Sometimes it was to my father. Uh, once she was talking to me as when I was a little boy, I heard the whole conversation. So these kind of visions start to come uh, during the passing time. Now I thought Eldon mentioned that also. Your question may have been, is there a way to get in touch with those who have made this transition? Am I correct in that, Marie?
3: <clears throat> Actually, yes. Um, and as I was waiting, um, I think she did because I had uh, came across come across uh, a poem. Uh, by um, uh, W.S. Merwin, and it, it's called The Shadow Side of Sirius, and uh, in it he talks about, um, it's called By Dark, and it's actually about transition and death, and it, uh, it's, it's basically about calling, um, talking about following the black dog. And we've had black dogs... You can hear them in the background. Yeah, thank
2: you, uh, that <laughs> dog. Yeah, point. Yeah,
3: we've uh, we've had black dogs, and uh, one black dog just died right before she did, and then uh, we've always adopted black dogs through the rescue that we we worked with. And right after she died, a strange occurrence. Somebody called me fr- out of the blue. I wasn't a contact person. They said we have a black dog here at the shelter. Will you please take him? He's going to be put down. I said, Oh my gosh. Okay, is this the contact for my mother? I like, I think I was looking for direct contact, like most people say, well, hi, you know, they're in the room, you can feel them. I can't feel that. I'm getting maybe other information. I don't know if that's clear enough to... Yes, that's um, clear.
2: I, I'll tell you what I think. First of all, I'd like to say, don't you find it strange that as you told the story, the dog began to bark? <laughs> yeah. now, <laughs> the other thing, Marie, when people notice that after someone makes this transition or passing, that sometimes uh, there'll be a movement in the room, an object may suddenly fall, something to get their attention. To mm. get their attention. And, uh, I think an excellent study in this actually is the movie called Passengers. I don't know if you're familiar with that or not, but it explains a little bit about what may happen in that transition period for someone who is passing. Also, uh, the book uh, Hello from Heaven by Bill Guggenheim uh, explains how people receive this information after someone has passed in ways that are not technical, such as going through a medium, which Dr. Gary Schwartz explains that quite well in his books there's other ways too. Uh, Dr. Alan Bodkin and Craig Hogan talk about induced after-death communication, and they use a process called EMDR, standing for Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprogramming, and they found that they can actually put someone in contact with a recently deceased loved one. And then there's a way that I tried in Hilo, Hawaii, when my good friend Martin passed, and You may be interested in that if you go to the website, which is johnlturner.com. There's a search feature on the left. Type in the word Martin, and you'll see what happened in the cryptic case of Martin Simmons. He had agreed to research this after-death period with me, and then he became ill, and two months later, he passed that quick. And the day before he did, Maureen, I said, Martin, are you still interested in this research and he said absolutely and it was researched by using electronic instruments Uh, have you heard of EVP marine electronic voice phenomena no well I hadn't either until last year when the man wrote me from Australia to tell me about his research and it became clear then that hey maybe I should look deeper into this what people would call the afterlife so I got back to Hilo I tried it with a small radio we get the radio to sweeping the frequencies And then I put the question out there. I said, Martin, are are you there? Well, there were many results, and I think uh, our friend Dr. Taylor here got to see me do it the fourth time uh, in a film studio in Burbank, California. And I believe you remember, Elvin, you put a question to Martin too.
1: I did, I did.
2: So this is another way, Marie, but I tell you, I think the best way is to realize that your mom is only a heartbeat away. Mm-hmm. And this is the theme of ForeverFamilyFoundation.org that, you know, we come here, we incarnate as part of a soul family, we come to learn lessons, and we go through this. But once we make this transition into another dimension, we're still basically all the same and all together. And I think if we can go a little deeper today, Eldon and I will explain why we are all one. And consciousness can seem to explain everything else that
1: we know. Yeah, and if, and if you're interested in this marine, it, uh, Dr. Turner is is neglecting to indicate we we did a radio show with a number of EVP specialists all coordinated by Dr. Turner. And on my website, there are several examples of actual recordings, um, uh, voice recordings, and Ma- Martin had a, uh, had an interesting answer for you when you put your question to him, and you didn't share that with Maureen or the rest of our audience. So so tell us what was the question that you asked. Well, no, I'm going to put the question out there. You said, Martin, are you there? And what, what was the recorded answer that you took from that, Dr. Turner?
2: The very first time came a hello. And it came in his exact voice and British accent. He lived in London. And when I, it came within seconds of my putting that question out there. And when I played that for his wife, his friends who knew him well, and even my wife who knew him well, they couldn't believe it. It could sound exactly like Martin. Now, in my research and reading, trying to study this, I realized that can happen, too. It can sound just like the person. Well, I stopped i said later let me try to understand this i did some reading i came back to it weeks later and i tried it again is that you martin or martin are you there and this time what came through clearly was was a simple word answer one word answer yes was the answer <laughs> so that put me back to studying again i said something very interesting is happening but how can i understand it so the last two times were very interesting so mm-hmm. uh, here in hilo again i i got out the equipment and I said, Martin, are you there? And what came through was three words. That's the question. That's the
1: question. So <laughs> no, Martin had no. a
2: sense of humor, as Eldon probably has heard. And and again, I stopped, Maureen, and I waited. And I said, let me try to digest all this. And then I, I met Dr. Taylor in person for the first time in Burbank, California, as part of a project. And then I asked him if I could do a little tribute to my friend Martin and And they filmed me doing this again. I had all the equipment I brought with me. And again, with the cameras rolling, with Eldon standing there, I said, Martin, are you there? Now, again, think think about this. This is 3,000 miles away and three or four weeks away from the last time I did this. And the same three words came through. That's the question.
1: So. Uh, if you're interested, you know, Maureen, go to com slash articles because it's a hidden page slash EVP dash HTML, and you can hear all these samples. Well, thank you so much. Well, I hope we. Hope oh, thank you, questions. thank you for calling. Thank you. All right, Dr. Turner, I have I have feedback and questions from the chat room. Another uh, couple of calls here, but I want I want you to be aware of some of this feedback from the chat room. When you told the story about Daryl, uh, Jennifer says she got chills. Uh, 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 Yes I love the part i and schofield, I guess it is said I just got chilled from the love you part of the story the the tapping of the fingers well, a lot me, of great feedbacks in the chat room uh having to do uh, with that story now let me give
2: them some more chills about that story real quickly Eldon because okay that day when he he men that move and I love you, I said all right, let's go I wheeled him into the operating room and it turns out that the anesthesiologist, uh, right, named Steve, Steve Guerin was there uh, to do the case. He was called in and uh, said, Turner has a case. And he was the same man that was asked to intubate Daryl when he came to the emergency room. He was the same man that was asked to disconnect the respirator. And when he saw me wheeling him in, he, he, and also he was the same man who was my uh, wife's ex husband. <laughs> He said, now, just what kind of prognosis did you give this family? Because he was told the young man had, you know, was dead, basically. Right. <laughs> I said, well, I said, Steve, listen, I'm sorry, but it's a long story, but I, I went, to, I leaned down, I said, Daryl, open your eyes. And he did. I said, now, do you have anything to tell Steve? And he moved the one, four, three. And Steve apparently knew what that meant. He couldn't believe it. And while I was doing the surgery, he was down in the emergency room to explain that the one they thought was dead was really getting fixed right now, a day later. So that's kind of a chilling thing. But just think, had Daryl not had that premonition several times about organ removal while in a comatose state, this may have happened to him. And probably without anesthesia, Eldon, because they would have felt there was no need for any pain-relieving anesthesia.
1: Yeah, ouch. (laughs) (laughs) Ouch, literally. All right, Dr. Turner, we have Charity from Chatsworth, California. Uh Charity, you're on the air with Dr. John L. Turner. What is your question?
4: Hello, Dr. Eldon Taylor. Um, My question is, I was wondering, how am I able to... To um, tap into the psyche to overcome emotional barriers.
2: Uh, I'm sorry, Charity, could you repeat that one more time? Tap into what now?
4: To the psyche to um, overcome emotional barriers.
2: That's a, a very complicated question. You know, had you asked me that, uh, a year ago or even less, <laughs> I may have said, well, you know, you have to do this and that. My mother was a psychologist, right, And actually a right. child psychologist, so I grew up with all that. Eldon, a psychologist, you know, they might say, work with this and that, but there may be other reasons to have these emotional things, and, and to tap into it, you've got to realize, uh, first of all, what a valuable person you are, <laughs> and that all of us are brothers and sisters. And it's selfishness that keeps us from realizing this and then to go the next step which would take a little work but you could get there you could realize that we are all one and with that knowledge you'll realize that everything and everybody uh, has to be respected and you'll be able to realize that you have great things to contribute and as richard bach stated i think you'll be interviewing him soon Eldon. That. If you want to know what is your purpose on Earth, if you're alive to answer that question, then you have not fulfilled that purpose yet. (laughs) So, you know, there's a lot for you to do, Charity, and I think you've got to say, well, what is the root of the problem? And actually, Eldon can answer this much better. Uh, What would you say, Eldon?
1: Well, you know, first of all, I want to make a clarification here. A psychologist is one that practices psychology. I have a degree, a Ph.D. in clinical psychology, but I don't practice psychology. So with that said, what I have to what I have to say, I'm also a fellow on the American Psychotherapy Association, is you should see a competent health care professional. However, what Dr. Turner has indicated to you is is in my experience right on the money the the greatest problem that individuals have is in loving and accepting themselves I believe that all my research going way back into the early 80s at the Utah State Prison where we were working with inmates and, and we came out of that research and we went into hospice centers. Uh, for that matter, we're doing some re- research today, Dr. Turner and myself. Out of all of the research that I've done in my life, I've come to the conclusion that there is a deep abiding principle that we we have to uh, if you will, fully endorse and accept in order for each and every one of us to to realize who we are, uh, to realize what our potential is, to find that place where we have emotional balance. And that principle is forgiveness. In the prison system way back in the early 80s, we utilized, I forgive myself, I forgive all others, I am forgiven, to lower hostility, aggression, and interrupt recivity rates. And the reason for that is the hardest thing a human being can do is accept responsibility for everything in their life. The nature of our society is such that we learn very early to blame anything and everything outside of us for all that happens that doesn't please us. We learn very early through different psychological mechanisms to displace that responsibility and to do it mechanically so that it we're unaware of it. I don't want to take this hour, and we could take this entire hour, to talk about just this one question, and maybe we do that in another show. But I would suggest this to you, Charity. If you go to my website, com and click on Forgiveness, there's a free download that you can get as an MP3, or for that matter, you can order it as a free CD called Forgiving and Letting Go. That program we have run double-blind studies with and found to be effective in multiple domains, but most importantly, in an area of learning to love, to accept yourself, to take responsibility for your life in a way that empowers you to change the negative that's in your life. Um, I'd all, you know, For what it's worth, I'd also suggest that you take a look at some of the articles on the site. There's one out of Choices and Illusions that talks about um, how we make choices. In fact, there's a flower pot story I may let Jack tell you about before you get off the air. You want to tell her about that one, Jack?
2: Well, yes, I love to tell that one, Eldon. I heard you tell it first, uh you know, in California during that filming, and I think you'd like this uh like this story charity and and actually, let me put it to you as a question charity. Uh, let's say you were walking down a street charity you okay. you can hear me okay and and let's say you pass a rarely ritzy apartment building, and just as you happen to look up uh, from the next level a flower pot is teetering off the ledge in the wind and just falls right at you, and it strikes you on the head. It stuns you a little bit, maybe gives you a little cut, and then it smashes into pieces at your feet. All right? right. The The question is, what would your impulse, what would you do next? You know, imagine that just happened to you. What would you do?
4: As soon as it happens, of course, I would be uh, shocked at first, but, yeah. you know, up first I would say, ouch, you know, it will hurt. Yeah, right? It would definitely hurt. And afterwards, I would think to myself, well, what exactly happened to me and why uh-huh. it happen? And then I'll be in a little the... bit of a shock.
2: Uh, okay. And then what would you do next once the... you kind of shook your head and you see you were okay? What would you do next? And
4: then, and then pick up the pieces.
2: Right. Okay. Pieces
4: around me and throw them away in the trash.
2: All right. Let me tell you, that's not a bad answer. And since I first heard this from Eldon, I realized this is a good test that I'm going to use when I meet someone new, you know, I might be talking with some guy and we're just going to become friends perhaps. And I may put this story and see what they would say. Some men especially would say, I'd go right up there, like Eldon tell the story, and and I would ring the doorbell and I would punch that guy out. Then Eldon said, well, he would tell the person, well, what if that was a linebacker for Chicago Bears? And They said, well, <laughs> then maybe. I said, okay, uh, what else? And another person would say, hey, I'd do that and I'd sue him too. Well, I heard Eldon and I'm watching him. You know, I appreciate the way he talks and he's speaking. And he said, What about this? What about if you do go up and ring the bell? And when they answer, you say, Look, this is what happened. But I know you wouldn't want to have your flower suffer. So here you go. Here's your flower back. And how do you like the pot I got for you? Well,. I tell you, that way of thinking would be the way, and, and you can tell a potential new friend to see how they'd answer that question. If they say, I'd punch them out. Well, maybe you can say, well, you have a nice day, and then someday we'll meet. <laughs> but, uh, you know, picking up the pieces was one reaction when I asked a very lovely person the other day, and, you know, clean it up and throw it away. That's what I would have done if I hadn't met Dr. Eldon Taylor, you okay. see. And let me tell you, Charity, when I left California and I came back, that recording equipment... I put it in my suitcase rather than hand-carry it, and when I got back, it was gone. You know, a couple of digital integrated circuit recorders and that small radio that could sweep, and I realized that my time of using those was no longer for me to do. And I thought if I had batteries and knew who took it, I would say, Well, here's some new batteries for you, and I hope you enjoy that equipment. No, seriously, because it meant to me that it's time for me to move on to something else. That was the message I got from that. And also, to not react with any type of anger and violence. There are cases, like Elder mentioned, when it may be indicated, say my little boy was with me and that pot had knocked him out, he ended up having surgery and died. Well, you know, all those kind of things can happen. But I think we might be able to forestall those things if we treat everyone and everything with kindness and respect. Right.
1: Especially ourselves, Charity. Yes. Thank you for your call.
4: (laughs) Thank you very much. You're welcome.
1: Dr. Turner, you know, we have a, a... a little over a minute, a minute, 20 seconds thereabout. about. I want everybody to know the name of your book again, uh, your website. Tell them about You have a sound file there that's available that you just provide everyone. Uh, take uh, roughly 30 seconds. Talk fast, would you All right. please?
2: You called the book Mind, Miracles, and Manifestations because you and I have talked so much about the mind. But the book is Medicine, Miracles, and Manifestations, A Doctor's Journey to the World of Divine Intervention, near-death experiences and universal energy. The website is JohnLTurner.com. There are links there to Amazon and New Page Books, the publisher, and Barnes & Noble. However, more importantly, Chapter 1 is posted under the blogs where you can actually read Chapter 1 and see if it's something you'd be interested in reading or obtaining. But I think it would be an interesting book for those who may want to know what a spiritual path. What spiritual path could they take? Because I explained many that I took. And at the end of the writing the book, Eldon, I realized that the path I was looking for, I was already on. That path
1: yeah, well, you got last. it. And and we're out of time, doctor. So Thank you. remember, it's JohnLTurner.com. Join us next week. Uh, Nick Begich is my guest. Angels don't play this harp as the subject. We're talking about brainwashing and mind control.